0: You may be seated You know sometimes it's fun sometimes it's even humorous and then sometimes it's a bit sad to think about some of the changes that we've seen in our lifetimes I remember what a treat it used to be to make homemade ice cream in the summertime Grandmother had a big old wooden ice cream freezer, had a hand crank. And they'd mix everything up and you'd put the ice and the rock salt in there. And my job was to sit on top of the ice cream freezer and hold it down. And my daddy, being the older brother, would always defer to his younger brother. And he'd say, Bill, I'll go ahead and start it. And so daddy would start the ice cream. And then after it started freezing a little bit, he'd say to... Baby, Brother Bill, you want to take over for a while. That was a treat to enjoy that homemade ice cream. Now I think, why in the world would you want to make homemade ice cream when you can catch bluebell on sale too for $9? I've got a cousin that wanted his son to have the experience of homemade ice cream. He goes out and he buys a White Mountain, wooden, Ice cream freezer. And then they get all the ingredients and they make homemade ice cream. He just looked at me when I told him how many half gallons of Bluebell he could have bought for the money he spent on that ice cream freezer. And you know, you think about making homemade ice cream and you think about buying Bluebell. And then you think about, well, the reason we made homemade ice cream is because the only thing we could afford at the store was melarine. You remember melarine? Good old cottonseed oil used to make an alternative ice cream. Did you realize cottonseed oil was the primary ingredient of melarine? That word is so obsolete, Spell check on the computer does not even recognize melarine. But then you think about that. And it's also a little bit of fun sometimes to look at some of the expressions we use in our daily life. Because so many expressions that we use in our daily life have their foundation in the 1500s. June is the traditional month for weddings, right? Do you know why June became the traditional month for weddings? People took their annual bath in May. And so June was the logical time to get married because it was close to when they'd had their bath for the year. In order to smell pretty, brides carried a bouquet of flowers. It wasn't because the flowers were pretty. It was hopeful that the flowers would mask the body odor. That's why the bridal bouquet is called a nosegay. Think that one through. According to some authorities and traditions, here's another example of customs of 500 years ago. Taking a bath was a lot more of an ordeal than it is now. It involved getting a big tub and heating water and filling the tub with water. And Not only that, baths were thought by some people to be unhealthy because they would wash the vitamins and minerals off of your body. And so they would fill this big tub with water, and the man of the house had the privilege of bathing in that nice, clean water. He took the first bath. Then all the other men in the house took their bath. And then the women were allowed to take their bath. And then the kids and the babies were last. Folks, by that time, the water was so dirty, you could actually lose somebody in it. That's where the expression comes from, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Back in those days, in the 1500s, houses had thatched roofs made out of straw. In the wintertime, the only place that the domestic animals, the cats and dogs, could keep warm was to burrow in the roof of that thatched house. But when it rained, the straw would become slick, and so the animals would then start... Sliding off the roof, and that's where we get the expression it's raining cats and dogs. When company came over, the host, if he was a prosperous man, would go to the smokehouse and bring out a side of bacon. And he would hang that bacon up for his company so he could show off because he was somebody that could bring home the bacon. And then they would take the bacon while the company was gathered around. They would cut off a little of it to share. And they would all sit around the fire and chew the fat. Now tell the truth. You feel better this morning knowing what all those phrases mean, don't you? You feel enlightened. There's a lot of things that have changed in the last 500 years. There are a lot of things... All of us have seen change in the last half century. But folks, there are some things that never change. The writer of the Hebrew letter tells us that one of the things that never changes is Jesus. He writes in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 of Jesus Christ, he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And not only does Jesus not change, and not only has Jesus never changed, But the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it's contained in the pages of this book, is also something that does not change. There's a lot of folks today, a lot of religious folks today, that would like to have us to believe that the Bible is old-fashioned, that it's out of date and that it's become obsolete. There are folks standing in pulpits this very day, who would even go so far as to question as to whether or not the gospel of Jesus Christ is still relevant. And we hear the gospel needs to be updated, and the gospel needs to be changed, and the gospel needs to be improved upon, and the gospel needs to be made more modern, and it needs to be brought into the 21st century. I mean, after all, let's look at this logically. Life is different today than it was when Jesus walked the dusty roads of Palestine 2,000 years ago. Society and culture and customs have changed since Paul wrote those epistles back in the first century. Customs are different now. Paul is not relevant anymore. The methods and the customs and the teachings of the New Testament need to change and keep pace with the times we're living in. Really? Let's think about that for a few minutes this morning. And let's also keep another question in the forefront of our minds as we think about that. Did the ancient gospel that Paul preached and Peter preached, did that ancient gospel meet the needs of ancient man? You see, Jesus Christ relied on the ancient gospel. Go back to that time when Jesus comes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. After His baptism, the heavens were opened, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it was then that Jesus was led out into the wilderness and He was met by the devil. He went out into the wilderness all alone and in hand-to-hand combat, He met the arch-enemy of mankind out there. And every temptation, every device known to His satanic majesty was thrown at Jesus that day. And everything the devil did, Jesus answered. And His defense was perfect. And He relied on the Scriptures of His day. Every time the devil tempted Him, Jesus said, It is written. And He quoted the devil something out of the Old Testament. The ancient gospel. Changed people's lives. The teachings of Jesus Christ, it changed the lives and it changed the disposition of His disciples. When Jesus called those twelve men, Peter and Andrew, James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and all the others, into His service, they were just ordinary men. From ordinary walks of life, people just like us. Not one of those twelve men was a super saint. They all were afflicted with the uncleanness that is produced by sin. But what do we read in John 15, verse 3? Jesus said, Now you are clean. Why, Lord? By the words Jesus said that I have spoken unto you. You recall John's nickname? John was known as a Son of Thunder. In Luke chapter 9, John wants to bring down fire on a Samaritan village and burn every one of them to a crisp because they didn't offer the accommodation and the respect to Jesus John thought they should. But the Word of Jesus Christ entered John's heart. It changed his heart. It changed his life. And the Son of Thunder became known as the Apostle of Love. What about fickle, impulsive Simon Peter? A man that wavers from one extreme to the other. The Word of Jesus made him into a stone-like character who could face mobs screaming for his life. And in the face of those mobs, Peter could stand firm for the truth of the gospel that had made a change in his life. This was a man that once upon a time would rather deny Jesus. Then face criticism. But the power of the gospel changed Peter's life. And it made him a man that would submit to the horrors of a face downward crucifixion. Or what about the lives that were changed on that first Pentecost after the resurrection? You read about that in Acts 2, in that day in Jerusalem when Peter stood up to preach. There were men assembled there out of every nation under heaven. It was a large audience. And in that audience were people as hard and as heartless as any people you'd ever find anywhere. There were those there who had voted for the release of a hardened criminal named Barabbas and chosen the Savior of the world, to be crucified. There were those in that audience who had lied and committed perjury on the Son of God in open court. There were those in that audience that had joined the chant of the mob and said, crucify Him, crucify Him. There were those there that had beaten the innocent back of the Son of God till the blood flowed. There were those there that had spit in His face, that had placed a crown of thorns on His brow. There were those that enjoyed his humiliating march to Golgotha and rejoiced when Jesus collapsed that day under the weight of the cross. In that audience, there were those who had directly or indirectly driven the nails through his hands and the spike through his feet. There were those there that had laughed and mocked and scorned while Jesus died. It was to that kind of audience, to that kind of people, that the ancient gospel was preached. And at the end of that sermon, they said, What shall we do? Because it reached down and grabbed hold of them. It touched their hearts. It pricked them in their hearts. You see, that ancient gospel was able to sustain men and women beneath their burdens. It was something that gave people hope in the hour of death. It enabled Paul as he was facing the executioner to write to Timothy and say I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the God, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not me only, but all the impulse in, that love is appearing. It enabled them to face death remembering the words of Jesus. When He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am there, you might be also. Loved, we can find no need whatsoever that was experienced by ancient man that was not met by the ancient gospel. Whether it was peace and suffering or whether it was forgiveness of sins, the gospel of Jesus Christ met the needs of ancient mankind. This book is filled with examples of those whose needs were met by the gospel of Christ. Well, okay, that's all well and good. It met the needs of Peter and Paul and it met the needs of man in the first century, but... Does the gospel, that ancient gospel that's 2,000 years old, does it meet the needs of man in the 21st century in 2015? Has man changed? Human nature has not been altered. Peter and Paul may have been first century fishermen, but... As men, they're just as modern as you and I are. Modern man in 2015 is made out of the same kind of stuff that ancient man was made out of. His hungers, his thirsts, and his fleshly impulses are all just the same. And if his hungers and his thirsts and his fleshly impulses are the same, man's needs are the same. Have you heard anyone contend that because we live in a different time and in a modern age, that we need a new and improved sunshine? Or we need a different kind of air than that enjoyed by ancient man? Or the stars have become obsolete, that we need different stars in the sky? Nobody's arguing for any of those things. The moral... And spiritual nature of man is the same today as it was in the first century. Man has the same desires, the same impulses, and the same inclinations as he's always had. And just as the gospel met the needs of ancient man, the gospel of Jesus Christ meets the needs of men today. Well, okay, maybe man hasn't changed, but... Has the world around man changed since the first century? Well, the veneer has changed. Thank goodness. We've got automobiles to travel in instead of sandals and donkeys. The veneer has changed. But at heart, down deep inside, the world is still the same men still kill and steal and rob their fellow man for gain. And the same motives that led to those crimes in the first century lead to those crimes today. Paul talked about the love of money in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. And he said to the ancient world, The love of money is the root of all evil. That's as true today as it was then. The nature of man's temptations hasn't changed. You go back and see the ways that Eve was tempted, the way that Jesus was tempted, and you read what John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, and verse 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. The world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. The appetites of man, the lust of the flesh, play as prominent a part in the world of sin today as they did in the days of Jesus. Sins that arise out of man's view of the unholy, the lust of the eye, those are as prevalent today as they were 2,000 years ago. Pride, ambition, a desire for self-exaltation, those still produce the same old sin and sorrow they did when Jesus was here. The world may have changed around man. The world may have changed its dress and it might present itself in brighter colors. But the world at heart is still the same world that ancient man lived in. reminds me of when I was a boy and we took a vacation one time, we went out through west Texas, through the panhandle, through Colorado, and we went out in the western United States. And we were on our way home and we were tired and it was late. and We pulled into a motel in Amarillo, Texas. Now bear in mind, this is the early 60s. It's late. It looks kind of okay on the outside. So we pay the $10 or the $12 and we go in to spend the night. Folks, I've never seen that many roaches in one place in my life. They were trying to carry the suitcases out of the room. Well, about three years later, we make a trip into the western United States. We're coming back. You see where this is headed, don't you? We get to Amarillo. It's about midnight. We're tired. There's been construction. We've gone every which way around town. But we see a neon sign motel vacancy. Oh, that's a welcome sight. It looks really nice on the outside. This looks like a great place to stay. There were grand grandchildren of the roaches that had tried to carry off our suitcases in that same motel. It was the same motel. They had put a different facade on it. Inside the rooms were just as nasty and just as filthy as they had been three years ago. The world may have changed its facade. The world may have changed the way it looks on the outside, but at heart, the world is the same world Jesus lived in two thousand years ago. Well, if man hasn't changed and the and the world around man hasn't changed, has the disease changed? If the disease is altered, if it has become immune to the remedy, well, then maybe the remedy should be offered. Well, guess what? Sin hasn't altered. Sin's the same it always was. It's just as vicious, just as blighting, and just as degrading as it ever was. You remember what Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 8? He said, He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That rule is just as new as the news you watched on your television. Modern man has added no new sin to the catalog of crime. you think there is some new sin? Let me read to you from Romans chapter 1. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, For their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise the men also, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did, did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without natural, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now you know, we become a bit anesthetized, I think, to the language of the 1611 King James Bible. Let me read that to you out of Philip's translation. Something that brings it down where we live. Something that brings it into our language. They gave up God, and therefore God gave them up to be the playthings of their own foul desires and dishonoring their own bodies. These men deliberately forfeited the truth of God and accepted a lie, paying homage and giving service to the creature instead of the Creator, who alone is worthy to be worshipped forever and ever. God, therefore, handed them over to disgraceful passions. The women exchanged their normal practices of intimacy for something which is abnormal and unnatural. Similarly, the men, turning from natural intimacy with women, were swept into lustful passions for one another. Men with men performed these shameful horrors, receiving, of course, in their own personalities the consequences of their perversion. Moreover, since they considered themselves too high and mighty to acknowledge God, He allowed them to become the slaves of their degenerate minds and to perform unmentionable deeds. They became filled with wickedness, rottenness, greed, and malice. Their minds became steeped in envy, murder, quarrelsomeness, deceitfulness, and spite. They became whisperers behind doors, stabbers in the back, God-haters, They overflowed with insolent pride and boastfulness, and their minds teemed with diabolical invention. They scoffed at duty to parents. They mocked at learning. They recognized no obligations of honor, lost all natural affection, and had no use for mercy. More than this, being well aware of God's pronouncement that all who do these things deserve to die, they not only continued their own practices, but did not hesitate to give their thorough approval to those that did the same. You think there's some old sin that ceased to be practiced or some new sin that wasn't practiced back then? No. And that, my friends, is why we preach the whole gospel. Sin is sin. Regardless of how you might try and put a politically correct spin on it, sin is sin. If the malady hasn't changed, why change the remedy? We don't need a new gospel. What we need is men and women conscientiously obeying the ancient Jerusalem gospel. We need people to live the kind of life God wants them to live. We need people still willing to Believe in Christ with all their heart and turn their back on sin through repentance and confess the name of Christ before men and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. Then we need people willing to live God's kind of life faithfully. To hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. So you need to make changes to live His kind of life. It's His invitation.